I have not got to do many of these lately. And then over over the weekend, I got sick. But do you think at a time when the Edmonton Oilers drama, for lack of a better word, is dominating the hockey world as we speak, do you think I'm going to keep my uh, garbage-sounding voice quiet while this is going on? I probably have to keep it down a little bit. I do wake Steph up with these sometimes. And, I mean, full disclosure, like, I feel like shit. I'm I'm really fighting it here the last couple days. But, man, I needed to do a podcast. I did a blog tonight, which was already almost done, but it's kind of time... I hadn't done a blog in about a month and a half, and I already had one that was basically done, so I figured, yeah, now's now's a good time to pull the trigger on it, so you get a chance, check that out whenever you're listening to this, or after you're listening to this. If you're listening to this, you know, I'm recording this, it's 10.50 Mountain Time, Monday night, Uh, you know, I'll probably have this done by midnight, you know, I'll probably post it tonight, so it'll be up by 1.00 or so, maybe earlier than that, so the blog won't be up yet, but 8 o'clock tomorrow morning is when the blog goes up, if you're listening to that this time, or if you're listening to that overnight, this overnight, holy shit, I should already start over, fuck it, um, oh, this is the Soups on Oilers podcast, I haven't done a Soups on Hockey podcast in a long time now, and I don't know. I'm just trying to knock these out when I can. Uh, the whole soups on Oilers, soups on hockey, soups on whatever shit's kind of gone sideways here on me in the last month or so as I'm trying to catch up on some things. But uh, yeah, you wouldn't think I would be too busy right now, and yet I feel like I'm swamped and I'm sick. I don't like being sick and recording podcasts. They sound like shit, but oh, here we go. Okay, I, I you know I did notes for this, but did I really need notes? Like I could easily go on for hours on this shit show. Um, Saturday night, what did anybody else expect? You know, and I took a little bit of heat because I don't think people really understood the tweet that I was saying before the game. But you know, like. They were losing to Calgary. There, there was no doubt they were losing to Calgary. The Carolina game, though, that's not one I'm going to come out and defend. That was horse shit. They, they, a horse shit performance. And I know people argue back and forth. Are they not playing hard or are they not good enough? It's both. Why does it have to be one or the other, you fucks? It's both. Mark Spector fighting with the analytics guys. You know, I saw a guy today, Wood Guy retweeted it, and it was like, oh, you know, spec talking about how it's the effort is the most spec thing. And like, yeah, like I get it. Like, there's no doubt. Nobody is denying that they're not talented enough. You know, they probably still lose that game if they give a fuck. But if they give a fuck, at least... At least they show they give a fuck. You know, like, that's what fans lose it about. This team, this organization, since Daryl Cates took over as owner in 2009, they have so many of these performances each year. It is not right. 
It's just not right. There are other organizations that have equal or less talent than the Oilers. They do not no-show near as much as the Oilers do. Anywhere near as much as the Oilers do. And it is clear as day it is an organizational problem. (sighs) Like two minutes in and I'm already going off script and I'm losing it. And I know pe- people will love this because the the last one I did when I ranted, I don't, jeez, I don't even remember if that was the trade deadline or if the trade possibilities one that I did talking about Tarasenko may have been two podcasts ago. I can't, I I've done so few lately that I've kind of lost track of where I'm at with them, but. I mean, and I, by the way, I want to do a lot more. And I've said that a lot of times here. I'm busy right now. I'm trying to get some things done. I got some schooling shit going on that I got to get finished. But, you know, I it, for those who enjoy these, thank you. Um, like a million times over, thank you. I do try at them. I do have a passion for doing this. I, I, sh- I probably shouldn't be a 35-year-old guy still chasing a dream that, and doing it for free. I mean, it's kind of, there are bigger things in life, and it's definitely not on the front burner for me. But, man, I still want to do a good job at it because I just have, I have that feeling of you never know. I should I should be beat down at this point in life to the point where I'm not trying to do this kind of stuff, yet I just I can't quit on the dream, so to speak. So anyway, you know, you know what the topic is today. Uh and what more needs to be said. You know, like this is the it's it's apathy, man. It's apathy, and it's becoming a national story. Ryan Rashog did a hit on TSN today. I can't remember. I think it was on That's Hockey. I saw the clip on SportsCenter, but I think it was on that That's Hockey, and he just hit the nail on the head. It's apathy with the fan base, and I'm finding that with people I talk to. You know, you know my buddy Teddy the other day, I said something to him about, about it and uh he said you know soups i just i just think i'm done with it like there there was no like there there was no like engaging in the conversation and not that he was being a, a prick or anything about it it's just like yeah like you can only bitch for so long and it's like let's find something that makes us happy because this just makes us miserable you know i i got i got buddies i got some buddies who say they're done but it's like I, I don't know if I believe it. I just kind of think they might be just trying to join the party. But you know that's kind of good too, because more people need to join in on this. This it's the only thing. It's the only way to speak to Daryl Cates. It's the only way, is to just be apathetic towards it. I've said this for years. You know, you break up with someone, and they're livid. And texting you constantly and calling you constantly and like just going off about you and they're always talking about you in public. Guess what? They still give a fuck about you. When you break up with someone and you go, yeah, we broke up, but you know, whatever, it's for the best. They, they, they're probably, they probably don't care about that person anymore. And that's, when two people break up 
and one person is still screaming and you know texting and doing all that shit, and the other person is just like, "Sorry, you feel that way. I don't know what to tell you." Then, like that, just gets under the skin even more of the person that hates it because, like, it's the apathy. It's the oh, they don't care, and that's when it stings. You know, the apathy in this form would come as Cates would start losing money. That's when he would care. This was just a fun. I, I, it's just it's clear. Well, I'll I'll get to I'll get to that. The Koskinen deal. Um, you know, honestly, on on one hand, on one hand, I actually believe in the guy. Um, don't get that twisted with thinking it's a good contract. When the news first came down, I was kind of, I, I kind of didn't have like a big hate on for it. Reading some of the responses that were rational, that's when it hit me like, yeah, no, wait, this is an overpayment for no reason. And, and, and that's the thing, like that's, and I, I think with a lot of fans, it's not that they dislike what they've seen out of Koskinen and don't believe in Koskinen. Essentially, it's the same deal that Antiranta got, that Scott Darling got, that Cam Talbot got, all guys in, in very similar situations to Koskinen. I, I really believe Koskinen's the type of goal t- where he's, he's a safe goaltender at his worst, and he's flat out like he's elite at his best. That's my that's my honest opinion on it, you know. And and you got to keep in mind the type of defense that is playing in front of Koskinen, not just the blue line, but you know we're supposed to when we talk defense, we're supposed to be talking about the team, you know. This mindset of they can't defend because their defense is bad is so prehistoric. The game's not played three on two, people. It's played five on five. Forwards have to defend too. And defensemen have to chip in with offense, by the way. Something that I don't think my buddy Peter understands. Not talking about Mr. Lubardius, by the way. Hopefully Mr. Lubardius gives this a listen. I consider him a very good friend, even though I haven't talked to him in months. Uh, weeks. But yeah, I'm apathetic to it. And like, what did anybody expect? What did anybody expect? Like, it's, it, and it's the point yet again that Shirelli has never learned from his mistakes. He has no idea how to negotiate no idea how to find value no regard for the cap mess that he's created nothing that's the thing that's why he needs to go now is because it is crystal clear and it was crystal clear already that he's not learning from his failures he's now getting desperate and guess what? He's making the same stupid fucking moves that he was making three years ago. It's unbelievable, man. And you really, it makes you want to cry when you think about what this team could be. Like, full disclosure, the, the piece that I got coming out, if you haven't read it yet when you've listened to this, 
it's what if the Oilers hadn't let go of Craig McTavish? And I've seen it brought up on Twitter, and I thought it was a good time to bring it up. I kind of wanted to do a what if piece, a frequent one uh, for my blog for years now. I just never got around to it. You know, again, it's not my job. It's it's a hobby. But... Uh, and so I, I, I wanted to do that for years, and it was a perfect time because I just thought, yeah, that's a great one to start with because it really is an interesting look. And I looked at it, and I and I tried to be fair to both parties. I think the Oilers, the Oilers blue line right now, like they'd be so much more set because I, I said I still think they would have, like the one big change that would have had a lot, a big domino effect is that they probably would have got done a Dougie Hamilton deal because Dougie Hamilton was the perfect fit for them at the time. And you might say, well, Dougie Hamilton's looks like shit in Carolina. Yeah, true. But Dougie Hamilton still would be, what, the Oilers' second-best defenseman and give them a very formidable top pair with him and Clefbaum. And Dougie Hamilton... You know, moves the puck great, he skates great, he still has size. And that's the type of kid with, you know, the type of deal that the Bruins were looking for on draft day 2015. McTavish would have got that done. You know, I said in there, I, I think McTavish would have probably had to throw in another extra pretty good asset. And I projected that, you know, in fairness, that it would be this, the 2016 second-round pick. So Tyler Benson would would not be in the organization. But, like, that, you'd take that trade-off, right? And I, I love Tyler Benson. People have forgotten about Tyler Benson. I'm still sky-high on Tyler Benson. But that, the I really believe McTavish would have got the Hamilton deal done. And in fairness to Shirelli, he couldn't get it done. The Bruins, that was such a messy divorce. And as we know now, for damn good reason, it was a messy divorce. Yeah, it should have been. They should have been pissed. He pissed away Tyler Sagan for nothing and left them in a pretty, not near as bad, but a pretty big cap mess of their own. At the time he left, it was viewed as one of maybe the top three cap messes in the league. They've, for, you know, thankfully for Bruins fans and for that organization, Don Sweeney has been able to get it under control. And by the way, I don't think the Bruins are very well run. But they've sure straightened out their shit since Shirelli left. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, but the big thing with me with Shirelli it, right now is is the construction of the team. And I've said this. I've said this a lot this season. Like, if your blue line is going to suck in this league right now, they need to be mobile. They need to be able to move the puck. Back in the day, if the blue line sucked, they needed to be big. Take a look at the 2003 Oilers. That blue line was pretty bad. Eric Brewer, Jason Smith, Scott Ferguson, Corey Cross, Sloppy Steve Steos, Alexei Semenov. Most of these guys were either massive or miserable to play against. Off the top of my head, Brewer was 6'3", Smith was 6'3", Ferguson was 6'2", Cross was 6'5", Steos was 6'1", Semenov was 6'6". They were massive. Or, again, miserable to play against. 
And like that's not a good blue line. But when the Oilers are in the playoffs with that D, and it really wasn't the issue for that team at the time. I mean, you could say, well, they lacked a Chris Pronger. Yeah, no, fair, totally fair. Like they didn't have a number one defenseman and could have used one for sure. But they also didn't have an offensive catalyst up front. And that would have made a big difference. And they also didn't have a very good goaltender. That was when Tommy Salo was going to shit. That was 2003. You know, look at the Leafs' blue line right now. Gardner, Zaitsev, Hainsey, Dermott. Outside of Morgan Riley, that blue line is a bit of a joke. But they can move the puck and they're mobile. And that's what you need. You also used to need size. If you weren't good, you better be at least big and be able to score greasy goals. Nowadays, you need to be fast and be able to force turnovers on the forecheck with that speed to create goals. And we got Peter Shrelly as our GM convinced that it's still 2003. And I mean, you know, the reason I loved the hiring of Ken Hitchcock and I didn't like Todd McClellan for the team, is Ken Hitchcock's the best bet and best coach for what Peter Shirelli has built. But the problem is, Peter Shirelli's team just is not made to play today's game. It's it's horrendous. You'd have Taylor Hall right now, Dougie Hamilton... You'd have you, I. I still believe. I guess I'm letting the horse out of the barn with that blog. You'd still have Justin Schultz, I believe, because he would have been slotted more properly and probably would have been viewed differently by fans and media and management in Edmonton, and and might have gotten you know might have had people saying later on in that season, man, this guy's coming. You know, I, I really believe that. Plus, McTavish didn't ever show he didn't want to deal his guys Schultz was one of his guys all those kids were his guys he wanted to add to them and this isn't to sound make it sound like Craig McTavish was some great GM and oh my god how could they let him go no I still think Craig McTavish was a bad GM well not a solid GM anyway but it's just mind-blowing they would have been better off keeping him absolutely mind-blowing like, and like, with Shirelli, where is it anyone to stop him? Like, anyone who can stop him is either busy counting their six rings, telling people how they know a thing or two about winning. Or anyone who can stop him might be on the golf course right now, bragging about how their Bobby Nicks burgers are so fucking good. And where is the owner? Last I heard about him, an actress was telling people that he was offering to be her, quote, fairy godfather. I'm surprised he'd have time for that while also being Edmonton's fairy piece of shit. The worst owner in sports. Not sure how anyone could see it any differently Yes, that includes Jimmy Haslam, owner of the Cleveland Browns. He has destroyed this organization while lining his pockets with your money, with my money. If that doesn't make you 
fucking incensed, I don't know what would. That man needs to be raked over the fucking coals. He is doing a better job at pissing off this fan base than Peter Pocklington did. All Peter Pocklington did was trade Gretzky, traded him to a pretty great situation for Wayne. Daryl Cates is holding Connor McDavid hostage and ruining his career. It's it's mind blowing. And the the most sickening thing about all this is that Peter Shirelli is going to get fired because Edmonton Oilers fans have finally become smart enough to realize that they're not they're done giving this man his money. They're done. What a fucking idiot Daryl Cates is to have a fan base that has been this loyal and supported him for 10 years. Sorry, 11 years. And pissed them off to this extent. I went to the game. Now, I sound like a hypocrite saying this. I I totally get it. But the deal had been done for about a month and you know, what do you do? But for Steph's birthday, she wanted to go. She loves going to the games. And I kind of, I honestly, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And it's actually not just because of giving Daryl Cates my money, but you know, for my girl's birthday, I want to treat her right. So we went to the other game with some friends and, you know, got some tickets. There were a lot of empty seats, a lot like if that place holds 185 i would guess there was 16,000 there like that's what it seemed like i i might be wrong but there was one section and it would have been about i'm not positive on the section but it would have been about section 221 and there was a large chunk of seats empty like nearly 3 rows worth now, maybe it was a team who, you know, for whatever reason, ended up not being able to make the game. I don't know. It's bad luck, man. There's a lot of lower bowl seats. And I know the seats are paid for. I know it. It's still a bad look. And it's still a great look if you're an Oilers fan. Honestly, it is a great look if you're an Oilers fan. I've said this for years. I made this point. I think I wrote a blog uh, at the end of the 2014 season. Canucks fans, stop going to the games. To send a message to Francesco, is that how you say it? Aquilini, that that they they were fed up with Mike Gillis and they wanted a change. Guess what happened? Mike Gillis was out. Trevor Linden was brought in. Now that was a PR move, bringing in Trevor Linden. But Trevor Linden, you look at it. Look at the way this that team's going right now. That had a lot of Trevor Linden's fingerprints on it, man. A lot of it. You know, and they drafted really well. You know, they they weren't in a position to steal Brock Besser. They got Brock Besser. They they identified Brock Besser. They drafted well. You know, did they fuck up Ole Uolevi? Yep. Yep, they did. 
They should have Matt Kachuk. Um, but, you know, they. I understand what they were doing at the time. It's not like, you know, it's just like Pulley-Arvey. It's not like a lot of people were saying at the time, oh, Ole Ole Levy's never going to play in the league. <laughs> Excuse me. Jeez. You know, it's not like people were saying that. I wasn't too high on Levy. I kind of was saying, I don't get the big hype about this kid. Uh, Victor Mete's running the power play in London. And it's not like Victor Mete's some offensive dynamo that just is, you know, it's not like Mete was Ryan Ellis. Like, if Levy was so good, then why isn't Levy running their power play? It was my thought at the time. You know, I kind of saw him as a Jonas Brodeen. And Jonas Brodeen is proving to be kind of meh. Anyway, you know Vancouver's in a good spot now, and and it, yeah, it, there were some there were some bleak years there, but Trevor Linden was in control in those bleak years, and now look at them. That that might not happen, or that probably doesn't happen, if Vancouver fans continue to fill was it GM place at the time or was it Rogers. I can't keep up with the names, but, you know, Rogers Arena, they wouldn't have, if they would have kept filling it, they might not get that change. And things might be shittier than ever in Vancouver still right now. Think about that. And the thing about the Oilers is that they're one good GM hire away from getting this ship turned right around. The one thing I will not take away from Shirelli is they've drafted well. That system's now loaded. Well, it's not loaded, but it it's for what he's had to work with with picks, it's pretty loaded. You know, if the, it, he would have been a great GM to have in 2011. And I don't just mean that because he, you know, that's, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that he won the cup that year. Not at all. He rebuilt the Bruins and he, he could have rebuilt the Oilers. He can't maintain though. He can't maintain. But man, the guy knows drafting and developing and I'll give him that. And if the Oilers do finally, finally do the right thing and get it right with the next GM. He'll have that to lean back on. They have a good system in place. Keep it. As for who the right hire would be, they won't get the right hire unless they totally clean house. You know, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. And I know this guy isn't, you know, he's he's above this podcast, so you'll never listen to it. But I truly believe Darcy McLeod should be in that organization. I have followed that guy's work for three or four years, or four or five years now. Like the guy knows his shit. And he listens to the right people. Like I'm not saying Darcy McLeod should go from, you know, being the wood guy, <laughs> you know, doing lumber to being a GM of a National Hockey League team. But if the organization was smart, they would identify him and bring him in for an interview and at least give him some sort of consulting gig and have that voice in their organization. Because go back and look at the guy's work. The guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. 
And I, I just, if the next GM of this team has to be an analytics guy, it has to be because the situation calls for it. I don't give a shit if you're all in or all out on analytics. My stance on analytics is why in the fuck can't people figure out that they're a highly valuable tool and yet they're not the end all be all like it's a like most things in life it is a fucking hybrid of both opinions analytics guys can't you know they wonder why people shit on their stuff it's because of the way they come across the way they present it they're not people they they don't have a lot of people skills you know like it's it's kind of for a guy like myself who's outgoing though i wouldn't say i have the best people skills either cuz my conversation well conversationally anyway cuz my conversational skills suck balls Anybody who's ever had a conversation with me can probably attest to it. There have probably been some awkward moments where I'm standing there like a fucking moron trying to think of something decent to say. And I never ask people about their lives, not because I don't give a shit, but because I can't think of decent questions where I'm thinking in my head, I'll sound like a moron if I say that. So there's a little therapy session for your insight for you. Um... But the next the next GM has to be an analytics guy. And this organization needs to invest heavily in analytics. I'm not saying you go the way of the Florida Panthers, where you just let these guys all take over and you don't get any input from anybody else. You need a hybrid of the two. You know, John Chaka would have been a great hire. I don't think John Chaka is this wonder boy in Arizona. But I do think John Chaka gets great value for all his like for in all his moves the galchenyuk domi thing aside though i concede i i get what he was thinking there i just know that it was a bad move for him because galchenyuk is not what he's made out to be that but i mean hey any gm is gonna have a few blemishes too so I, you know, it's not like I look at John Chaka and go, oh, he's a shitty GM because I didn't like the Galchenyuk Domi move. If that's his worst move, he's doing pretty fucking good. The Oilers are perfectly positioned for an analytics guy to go in there and find value and get the cap back under control. The cap desperately needs someone like that. Now, the Oilers also need Milan Lucic to build off his recent hot streak. The Oilers also need Yesai Poliarvi to start becoming something offensively. And by the way, do not fucking trade that guy. I know I've said that an endless amount of times on this podcast. I am sticking by that. I had a back and forth with Travis Dakin, I want to say is his name on Twitter, or there's fans would know who that is. Uh, and he kind of went after me because I said that it was the copper and blue guys who were trying to make the point that Yakupov was a bad move too. And I just said, yeah, you're reaching. They were, I mean, it, Yak was not a highly valued asset. Yak could only do one thing. And this is something I can't lay out on Twitter, so I'll lay it out here. Yak could only do one thing. He could score. 
but yet he couldn't score because while he had that amazing shot, he didn't know how to find dead ice to get it off. And he didn't have the speed to create, to be able to create anything, to create situations where he could get that shot off. He wasn't fast enough and he didn't have enough smarts to compensate for being only 5'10". It took him 20 strides to get up to full speed. He was such a sloppy skater, and it was so evident the kid didn't work on any other aspect of his game. It was crystal clear. He just didn't. Pulley is very well-rounded. He is very good in his own zone. You know, as Ken Hitchcock would say, he's, he's often on the right side of the puck. He's very heads up. He gets a reputation of, you know, some fans have been saying, oh, I don't know if he's, uh, he looks pretty dumb. He's, he hasn't got the hockey smarts. Focus on him. Watch him play. That kid does so many little things out on the ice. So many extremely hockey smart moves. And I hate the term hockey IQ. But he's a very intelligent player. He just doesn't have the confidence with the puck right now. But you see his whole toolkit and have the knowledge of, whoa, this kid actually works his balls off? That kid is going to become something if that's the case. If he literally has the work ethic and he's working the right way, he will become a terrific hockey player. Terrific hockey player might only be a top nine winger. It, it might be, but I think that's the low end of it. High end of it, I think that kid's still going to be an elite winger. Go back and look at Shane Doan's numbers early in his career. I got to check the time first before I get into Shane Doan. 33 minutes. I'm not doing too bad tonight. I'm already done all my notes. Go look at Shane Doan's numbers, though. 96, 97, 98, 99. I believe it was 2000 when he finally popped as a winger. And again, we're talking about a power forward type winger. Similar, not not a similar player to Pulley but just similar in that both are, you know, young kids with a ton of size. Well, I don't know a ton of size, but power forward. So, like, I, I just pulled it up now. I'm looking at it now. 96, first year with the Jets. He was an overage when he was drafted. He was, he was October, I want to say. Yeah, October 10th, 76. So he was already 19, essentially, when he stepped into the league. <coughs> Excuse me. And 17 points in 74 games. The next season, he was traded to Phoenix. <laughs> Get it. Uh, 63 games, 12 points. Four goals, eight assists. Only 33 games in 98. Five goals, six assists. 99, he played 79 games. Six goals, 16 assists, 22 points. As a 22-year-old, he did that. Pugliarvi's two years younger than that. And I want to say Pugliarvi's numbers are on pace to be at least better than that right now. Four goals, five assists, nine points in 38 games. Last year he had 20 points in 65 games. I honestly forget already what... You know, Doan didn't do that until he was 22. Doan didn't pop till he was 23. I believe in the 99 playoffs, I'll scroll down here on hockey reference. 
I believe in the 99 playoffs, he had a good run. Yeah, two goals, two assists, four points in that playoff against the Blues. That the Yotes lost in seven games. Jim Schoenfeld said, I think he said he would resign if the Yotes lost game seven, and they did. Pierre Turgeon. I think I've brought that goal up on the podcast before. A stupid talent of mine. I could tell you every team or every playoff matchup that's happened in the league since 1987. How many games it went, who won. Like, how fucked is that? I could tell you home ice advantage. I think I could tell you the seedings every single year. I can also rattle off drafts. Like, it's especially the last 10 years, it's really not that hard. I can do the, well, not drafts, but the first round. Stupid. I'm an idiot. I, I can do that stuff, yet to get my realtor's license, I can't remember shit. I'm trying to remember equations for this test that I got coming up. I can't remember shit. You know, I don't know how to, you know, how to figure out the gross monthly income of whatever. Fuck, I'm an idiot. Anyway, I'm your idiot, though. You're listening to this right now, so I'm your idiot. Don was 23. You think Arizona regrets keeping Shane Doan and not, you know, regret not bailing on him. Man, in the 98 offseason, I bet Shane Doan couldn't have got them a third-round pick. Maybe he could have, but, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like he, he looked like nothing. I remember thinking that. At, I remember when he had that 26-goal year in 2000, like, holy shit, I thought that guy was a bust. And then he just, he just popped. 51 points. Blake Wheeler, who always, especially with Bob Stoffer, because Bob Stoffer took what Craig Button, oh, I got to get to Craig Button. He took what Craig Button said about Pulley in his draft year to heart as, oh, no, that's who he is rather than that's who he plays like. Stoff likes to do that for some stupid fucking reason. I don't know why I'm going that harsh on Stoffer. It's really not that big of a deal, but it's it just bugs me how he always brings up, well, you know, who did Craig Button compare to Yesse Pulley or yeah, who did Button compare Yesse Pulley to? Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler didn't didn't start in the league till 2009. No, 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 no. Blake Wheeler only had 38 points, only had 44 points, and he's 24. Blake Wheeler didn't get his career going until he was 25 years old. And yeah, that's true, but that's not what was, you know, that's not what the point was on what Button was saying. Do I believe that there is that comparable? Yeah, I do. Look at Wheeler's numbers. First season, you know, 22 years old, he had 45 points. And I've kind of brought this up. I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast before, but I know I've used this comparison uh, with friends. If Pulley Arvey was a second round pick in 2016, Fans would be horny as fuck, and the organization would not dream of moving the kid. Are you kidding me? Move a kid who's six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds, can skate your high end speeds amazing, doesn't have anywhere near the strength that he's gonna have right now to match his body type, like that that kind of world juniors as a seventeen year old, like if Pulley RV would have 
played against shitty talent the last few years, people would be sky high on that asset. But instead, he struggled against pros, so he's done as a 20-year-old, in the eyes of some. Like Mark Spector, quit trying to bullshit everybody there. Oh, yeah, you're not giving up on the kid. No, you don't like him. You think he's shit. You think he's dumb. Like, you do. You think he's dumb. You think he's useless. Just like Todd McClellan did. We'll see. Because you've been able to see Pulley RV grow. That's another thing, too, with the media in this town. Like, can Pulley RV please have a bad game? Pulley RV can play five really strong games in a row. Media gets told all the time he's a project. And. When Pulley-Arvey's going good, it's, oh, yeah, he's a project, and he's coming along. And the minute he starts playing, or has anything of a bad game, people jump down his throats and want him traded. It is fucking insane. He is a project. Now, I was saying back in, you know, January, I, I thought the coaching change would do more for him than it's done. The coaching change has definitely done him a lot of good. It's going to still take some time. But you see the growth in his game. Uh, it, look at the growth in his game, 2017 to 2018. Do people remember how clumsy and how just useless he was in, in 2017? Like He was useless. He was very useless. In 2018, he was useful. He came up, he looked a lot better. He was skating a lot better. He was, you know, shot was shot had improved quite a bit. And he just seemed to be getting more on it, even though it didn't look like he was really, like he was still whiffing on one-timers and stuff, but he was still, he was, you've seen growth. You were seeing a lot of growth. And you've seen a lot of growth this year, too. That's, this year is where I've seen the hockey smarts really start to, he's an intelligent player, man. That Arizona game, Kara gets the puck into the zone and goes behind the net and he reverses course. Pulley RV read it so perfectly. And immediately, he was standing in, at the top of the crease. And immediately when Kara threw on the brakes, he slides out to dead ice and gets a good shot away. Didn't get enough of it and and was stopped I'm trying to think of who was even in net for the Yotes that night. It might have been Aiden Hill. But it, it was just like another one of those plays. There, and they're, they're, they're just subtle ones. But it's those ones that make me go, oh, yeah, no, no, no. He's got the smarts to match this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And I could, I could easily be wrong. I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm secure enough. I have a big enough dick. To not be terrified of being wrong. A lot of dudes out there don't have that. I don't care if I'm wrong. Because a lot of us are always wrong. <laughs> Even the smartest people out there are going to be wrong. This Koskinen deal today. You know, hey, who was right about Koskinen in the summer? All of us were wrong. Peter was right on that. Does that make Peter a good GM? No. Jonathan Willis. No. Jonathan Willis. Don't 
be afraid. If you're so afraid, buy a dog. You should. They're awesome. I bought one. A lot of money. He knows how to go outside. Take a shit, though. It's pretty deadly. Like, Peter Shirelli is a bad GM. You do not have to reach on things to make your point on that. You do not have to reach and say, Oh, he fucked up Yakupov, too. Don't forget that. You don't have to say, Oh, the coaching staff in Bakersfield, they really did a good job finding Joseph Gambardella. No. Shirelli didn't fuck up Yakupov. And Shirelli found Gambardella. And he's the one who signed Koskinen to his good free agent deal. It was a good move. This one today, I don't know. It could be wrong. I, it's more money than I I would have gave Koskinen right now. But I'll tell you this. I would bet, personally, I would bet Koskinen outplays that deal. Because I look at him and I see a guy who is a very legitimate number one. When I know, when I have the knowledge that he is first guy on, last guy off the ice type of guy, that to me says, with combined with his size and his agile, you know, or how well he moves in net, how his agility is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, I, I think, and that guy, and his head too, he seems mentally strong, seems to have a good chin, doesn't get around, because he does let in the odd bad goal. He's got a little bit of Devin Dubnik in him, that he'll let in a weak goal. But he seems to have a good chin. You know, right now he's getting beat up high, glove side high a lot. You know what? I'm willing to bet that that six foot seven guy can figure and who works his balls off is going to get that figured out and going to start stopping that shot. That's not an unfixable flaw. Guys, I don't want to bet on have unfixable flaws. I don't want to bet on Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot doesn't have fixable flaws right now. Mentally, he's shot. You don't give up that many power play goals and don't give up that many first shot of the game goals and not have something wrong with you upstairs. Maybe it's fixable, but it's it's a little Chuck Knobloch-ish with him. He has a lot of work to do mentally, and I think the goaltending equipment for a guy who's 6'3 and really slender, I think it's really hurt him really hurt him because you know he he depends on positioning and that's another thing though too he's not he's not the same chill guy between the pipes that he used to be you know when when cam talbot was at his best he played a lot like carrie price where he was just so calm in his crease and never panicking you know look at the game winning goal that uh, I can't even remember the kid who, Connor Garland, was that who it was that took the puck off the face? Not on the game winner, but he got the game winner for the Coyotes that night that I was at that game. Look at Talbot on the game winning goal. He stands up and looks around for the puck. What the fuck are you doing? Like, you know a guy's game is shot when. And I mean, that game against Carolina, thankfully I didn't have to watch much of it. He gets beat on the first shot like that. I mean, that's as much to do with their effort as anything, is they knew right then, here we go again. I don't. I, I think his teammates, I think he's beloved in the room. I love Cam Talbot. I think Cam Talbot is one of the best people the Edmonton Oilers organization's ever seen. I hate seeing what's happened to the guy. 
But the fact of the matter is, in this business, Cam Talbot is an asset that's not worth investing in right now for the Edmonton Oilers. He has to go. It sucks. His, the way his wife has taken to the city, the way he's taken to the city, how good of a person he is, that shot of him in Vancouver giving that kid his goal stick. I mean, fuck, man. It sucks. It sucks. And I wish him nothing but the absolute best. But he got to call a spade a spade. His game's shot. His game is completely shot. Oilers fans are going to be tremendous to him when he gets dealt or he leaves as a free agent. But, you know, and, and hey, you never know. Maybe maybe he kind of settles into a backup role here to end the season because they can't trade him and ends up getting talked into, you know what, why not just sign a one-year deal here? I'll still get... I'll still get 35 starts with Koski. I like playing with Koski. I like playing with the boys. I like the city. You know, you never know. You never know what might happen. But for the most part, it looks like Talbot's done, and it's it's a shame. But, you know, as far as that goes, which one they picked, they very obviously picked the right guy. And $4.5 is not bad money for your legit starter. You know, I've seen, and this isn't to defend Shirelli again, this is to show that, hey, I can admit Shirelli does the odd good move without, you know, being the guy that has to pile on him because my dick's too small. And, I mean, that's a figure of speech. I'm not saying that everybody who's an Oilers fan bitching about Shirelli has small junk. I'm not. But, like, I mean, come on. Show some balls. Show some balls. Don't do the easy thing and just pile on the guy blindly. We all know he's a piece of shit GM and badly needs to go. He doesn't seem like all that great of a person either. You know, part of his problem seems like he's way too stubborn. But, I mean, the guy made a good move with Koskinen in the summer. It's more money than I would have given Koskinen right now. You know, I I understand all that. But, you know, I kind of think that it's going to end up being a good deal in the end. You know, if, if if Koskinen can, Koskinen just seems to me like this is this is as bad as he'll play. Again, work ethic, ability, size, mental toughness. He seems like the total package as a goaltender to me, to me. And if I'm wrong, or if I'm wrong on polarity, if I'm wrong on both, if I'm wrong on everything, guess what? It don't fucking matter. It don't fucking matter. Like, are you going to take the time to come back at me and say, ah, see, Soups, you were wrong about this one. You know, is Freezing Cold Takes going to you know air this podcast? Fuck, I hope so. There'd be a lot of publicity that I don't get. That'd be awesome, man. I'll gladly wear that badge. I'd be, I, I'd love, I, 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 I'll, people can now know, know me as the sports guy who don't know shit. Cool with me. As long as I get paid. As long as I get some notoriety out of it. Right? It's all about getting attention these days. It's not about having integrity. <sighs> oh, fuck. What else is... Okay, Craig Button. Before I go. Before I go. Craig Button. Craig Button. Oilers fans last week were riled up. I didn't... I Again, I haven't been on Twitter. I haven't... Like a lot. I haven't, I haven't, I've been distracted lately. I've had some shit going on. I, not bad shit, but just busy shit. And, 
I didn't read the article. Apparently, Craig Button, I asked a buddy, because I did, after hearing that he, like, you know, put Bouchard somewhere fucked up in his rankings, I didn't want to click it. I didn't want to give him the time of day. I didn't want to give him that click, you know, that's, that's what he's looking for. So I didn't want to give him that time of day. So I asked a buddy, like, where did he rank him anyway? And my buddy told me, and I don't know if my buddy's wrong, but he told me Evan Bouchard was not in his top 50 of prospects. You know how Oilers fans are apathetic, right? Are becoming apathetic towards the organization right now? Hockey fans in general need to become apathetic. Please do this. Please join me in this. They need to become apathetic to Craig Button's work. Because this is long before Evan Bouchard in this ranking ever happened. Craig Button has tried to be the Skip Bayless of the hockey scene in this country, in in the hockey media, in the NHL media. He has tried to become Mr. Hot Take. He makes a lot of noise with nothing usually behind it. You know, he just, for those of us who, I, I think I'm, I'm a pretty good hockey guy. Like, I, th- I feel like I study up and I know my stuff pretty well. I wouldn't put myself out here like I do, like this, if I didn't feel pretty strong in my ability to talk hockey. Craig Button's not a guy that I've listened to too much in the last few years because, again, I found his stuff to be Mr. Hot Take. You know, you see these bizarre rankings that he has that he just vehemently goes to bat for. And he doesn't make a lot of sense when he goes to bat for them. Why? Because he's trying to be Mr. Clickbait, Mr. Hot Take. Mr. Hey, look at me. I'm over here. Look at this. Look at this. I'm making a lot of noise. I'm making a lot of noise. Click my blog. Click my Craigslist. Click it. Click it. You know, like it's so he ranks Evan Bouchard out of the top 50. Ay. Okay, cool. Craig, I'll bet you a billion dollars that Evan Bouchard is a better prospect than at least one of your top 50. And I would love to say which one. I'm not giving him the time of day to click on that list. I'm not. That's how apathetic I am towards Craig Button. I won't I won't do it. Will it make a difference on his bottom line? No, no. But like fans need to quit giving him that time of day. Fans need to quit giving all those guys the time of day. You know, like I, I'm a huge Tim and Sid fan, but I find myself, you know. Sixero has just become increasingly more and more and more and more and more Mr. Hot Take, Mr. Bluster. And after a while, I just find myself kind of going, okay, like, the shtick's run its course. It's not, it's not funny anymore. He's run it into the ground. You know, I, I love Sixero. I, do, I think Sixero's just amazingly talented. But it's like now he's becoming a character of himself. Instead of saying what he truly believes. 
He's just going with hot take after hot take after hot take. And the reason that I watched him and Sid more now than anything, well, other than, I mean, they're, they're so well-rounded in how they know sports. I mean, that's what I love about them. You know, I think people tune in because they're entertaining, but they know their shit. But I tune in for McAuliffe because Tim's so grounded and Tim is is always going to either give the other side of the argument or make an extremely well-opinionated argument. If I run out of time... Oh, 56 minutes. Almost did. Not quite. So, yeah... If you're an Oilers fan and you're worried about Craig Button having Evan Bouchard not in his top 50, <laughs> I'd worry about someone who has a little bit more, um, you know, what's the right word? Someone who's doing it a little bit more for the right reasons with their rankings than Craig Button at this point. Because, and I know, you know, Craig seems like the type of guy who'd, you know, want to fight me for, you know, having said this shit. Cool. Cool. You're ever in Lloyd, bud, look me up. Be glad to say it. Not that he'd ever listen to this, obviously, but like, I'd be glad. I'd be happy to say it to your face. I really would be. Like, it's so obvious what that guy is all about these days. He's not about, you know, properly assessing prospects. He's about making noise, drawing attention to himself, and I think a little bit to the draft itself. But, you know, Bouchard's not in his top 50. Okay, yeah, okay. Like, he... Oh, God. Sure, bud. I think I think as an Oilers fan I can safely say I think I think we'll hang on to Bouchard. I think he's gonna be just fine, Craig. Oh, but Craig didn't like his World Junior performance. Oh, okay. So two weeks, a two week tournament on a team that the team could not create offense in his last two games when they played decent teams. The team couldn't. You know. But Evan Bouchard's garbage. Okay. All right. By the way, Ty Smith, I thought, looked awesome at that tournament. Great to see. Because I know he took flack over the U18s in the Prospects game last year. I always thought those were bullshit because in those games, you don't have time to prepare. You know, or, you know, U18 games, you obviously have time to prepare. But I think you know what I mean. Like, it's very not team structured. And for a guy like Ty, who would, you know, do exactly what the coach is asking of him, unlike a lot of other players. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I think it's just tougher. Some would say that's you know. I think SPR, my buddy, said you know it's is he a systems guy? I don't think it's that. I just think it's yeah. I won't get into it because I got no time. And SPR and I are talking about doing another pod together. So you want to check that out? Maybe we'll get into it. Maybe we'll stop agreeing with each other for once. Probably not. But anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Soup's on Oilers podcast. Hope the Oilers lose tonight, kind of, because maybe it'll mean Shirelli's gone. One can pray. One can pray. Have a good one.